You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. First Corinthians chapter number 11. Now, it's amazing to me that we have the Lord's Supper today, and uh, it just worked out so, uh, so that we're covering the Lord's Supper really this morning in the service. We're talking about First Corinthians chapter number 11, and I think that's great. In the month of February, we're also hit chapter 13, which is the, uh, uh, the chapter, the, kind of the love chapter that we talk about. And uh, so it's just very timely here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're not going verse by verse, but just to remind you, we're looking at the culture of a church that pleases God. The church of Corinth wasn't necessarily a church that pleased God. They were a lot of new converts coming out of, a, of rough backgrounds, and uh, they got saved by the grace of God, wonderful things, but a lot of them were still living in that type of manner. They're coming out of those backgrounds uh, learning things, and so Paul is addressing uh, really a lot of problems they have, but we can see through their mistakes how we're supposed to act, and that's what we're kind of looking at here, and uh, so we've seen several things, one thing for each chapter, and now we're in chapter number 11, and what I want to talk to you about, preach you about this morning is the idea of sacred spirituality, sacred spirituality. Now, this chapter deals with the attendance and practices of the church at Corinth. But the latter half of the chapter, which we're about to read, the latter half, the second half, deals with the abuse of the Lord's Supper. The abuse of the Lord's table. And and Paul is reminding them of the solemn significance of the Lord's table. We call it the Lord's Supper, we call it the Lord's Table, we call it communion. It's all the same thing. Would you look down at verse number 17? Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. I'm not going to praise you because when you guys are coming together, you're not getting better from it, you're doing worse things. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must be. Uh, be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, you, you guys have been doing it wrong. This is what it's signifying. <clears throat> and this do in remembrance of me. Verse 25. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. <clears throat> and as often... As you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Notice these next few verses here. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, there's that word again, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, judgment to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. 
For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep there doesn't mean, oh, people are falling. It means to die. Many are weak and sickly, and many have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. I want to pray and talk to you about solemn, sacred spirituality. Father, would you bless, I pray, these next few moments that we have before we partake in the Lord's Supper. I pray that you would use the message, use this precious book that we have in front of us that so many people have died to give us, that has contains, Lord, what you have for us today, would you please speak with us? Help our hearts to be open to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Have you noticed that not many things seem sacred anymore? A lot of the things, we, and the word sacred, we're talking about something holy. It, 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 a lot of things that were once sacred are no longer sacred. In fact, it's becoming more and more mainstream for entertainers to use religious imagery and iconography in their songs or music videos or, or movies. So many horror movies coming out that have to do with demonism and, and, and uh, spiritual things. So many songs and things that are coming out have to do with religious matters, and most of them are mocking in some way. It was one year ago at the Grammys. I don't watch the Grammys. Say, why? I'm an adult man. No, I just don't watch the Grammys, okay? I don't listen to any of them. I don't care what they have to say, and I don't idolize any of them. So I don't care what awards they win or what speech they want to give. It does not matter to me one bit. So I don't watch the Grammys. There you go. There's my 20 seconds on that. But a year ago, uh, I heard the news that uh, at the Grammys, there was a performance by a, a, somebody that came on stage and that he was dressed in all red with devil horns. Some of you know this. You saw the news about this with the devil horns and, and all of that and, and, uh, and, you know, demons dancing around. In the back, there was a huge image of, of, of Satan. And, and the song that he sang was unholy. And it was about basically having an affair. And, uh, and, and, and so the, there's, the de- there's the big devil in the background that looked like a bull with horns. And you say, well, what's the problem with that? And it seems to me that God had problems with other images of bulls with horns in the Bible, didn't he? I think it was the children of Israel that built one of those, and God didn't take too kindly to that. Now, you know, obviously unsaved people are going to act like unsaved people. I get that. I understand that. But I'm just saying, have you noticed that people are, are pushing the boundaries on purpose and taking things that are sacred and holy and treating them like garbage? Really, it's only Christianity that gets treated like that. You don't see people treating Muslims like that. You don't see people treating uh, uh, other religious groups, Hinduism and things like that. It's really just an attack on Christianity from my perspective of it. But there's lots of religious imagery where we're just taking the sacredness out. One commentator said it is a remarkable fact that many infidels have so, and that's an unbeliever, have so full, been so full of malignity and bitterness against the Christian religion as to observe a mock celebration of the Lord's Supper. There is no profounder depth of depravity than this. There is nothing that can more conclusively or painfully show the hostility of man to the gospel of God. 
The, the fact that someone would mock the Lord's Supper. Have we seen that? Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't say people's names, rappers, or I didn't even say the guy's name who, who sang that song because I just don't want to make you, oh, I want to search this up. I'm not trying to say that. But there's another rapper, very famous, who recently made a, a video where he was Jesus on the cross. And then he's taking the Lord's Supper and he sits down and he's just eating the bread and drinking the juice. And, and, and just again and again, we're seeing a, a mockery being made of something where it was Jesus' very body that was on the cross. And it was his very blood that was shed. And people are taking it as if it's nothing, but it's everything. It's so important. And it's something for us as Christians. Again, unsaved people are going to act like that. I get it. They need Christ. And if he would vary, and if these people would actually take seriously what they're saying, boy, their life would be changed. But for us as a Christian, hey, this is something sacred to us. There's something holy about it. In the Bible, the word holy means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless. You know the word faith? Faith in the Bible, all right? That's a very important word for us. The word faith appears 247 times in the Bible. It's an important word. The word love, we're talking about love this month. Love appears 311 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times. The word charity, which means love, 28 times. The word hope, hope is so important. Faith, love, and charity, right? Or faith, hope, and charity. The word hope appears 130 times, but the word holy, 611 times in the Bible. God, his His defining attribute, yes, he is love. Yes, he is all these things, but God is a holy God. And we cannot lose track of that. God not only is holy, but he says, because I'm holy, you be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God wants that. We ought to treat God in a holy, reverent fashion. We ought to treat the Bible in a holy, sacred, reverent fashion. We ought to treat our spirituality in a holy, sacred fashion because God is holy. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's sacred spirituality. There are things about what we believe that are holy things. I want to say three lessons from this passage that you're looking at this morning. Number one, I want to say this. Carelessness prevents communion. Carelessness prevents communion. Now, what are we doing with the Lord's Supper? The whole purpose is communion. The whole purpose is, hey, identifying and and praising the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done on the cross for our sins. And the whole idea is, hey, I want to draw closer to God. But when we come with a careless fashion, boy, that's not going to be received well. Carelessness on our part prevents communion with the holy God. And by the way, you know God takes this seriously. You say, Pastor, you're going too far with this. Really? Because I believe the Bible says that God takes it so seriously that when people did it wrong, they were falling sick and some were dying. So you can tell God takes it pretty seriously. That it's a serious matter. What Jesus did for us. Now look at your Bibles here. Let's look at some words here so we can understand this better. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily. Well, hold on. What's that mean, unworthily? It means in a manner undeserving. In a manner that is unbefitting. You're doing it in an unworthy way. Now, the word isn't unworthy. The word is unworthily. Because if we're honest, we're all unworthy. But we can be unworthy and take part in a worthily manner. 
In other words, we don't ha- it doesn't mean you have to be sinless to take the Lord's Supper. It means, yes, you are unworthy, but do it in a worthy way. Do it in the correct way. That's what it's talking about. Now, look, if you're not saved, if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, to take part in the Lord's Supper is an unworthy person taking it in an unworthy way. So that's, that's not what it's supposed to be about. But if you are saved, we can see that there are some mistakes that Corinth made, the church of Corinth. What were they doing wrong? How are they being careless about the Lord's Supper? Well, first of all, they were partaking in it for the food and wine's sake. They were hungry. It was about their flesh. It was about, hey, we get a free meal at church. We'll take part of the juice. We'll take part of the, uh, of the bread there. They were doing it for the food and wine's sake. It's an amazing thing to me, and I don't have a problem with this. It's an amazing thing to me when we have potlucks at our church. So what's amazing about that? The amount of Little Caesars pizza is always amazing. But uh, no, the, but what's amazing to me is the people that show up for the potluck. I don't care who shows up for the potluck. I, if all the homeless people on this street want to come in for the potluck, we will welcome them with open arms. But it's amazing that, that when we have a potluck, I'm like, there's 15 people here I've never met in my life. How did they hear about it? Potlucks don't go on our church tracks. But somehow people know, and I just always laugh at that. They, they're just showing up for the food. And, and look, if they're coming for the food and they're coming for the drink, but they also get the message and they also get to hear the Bible, I'm very happy with that. Because, yes, we need to feed their stomach, but we also need to feed their soul, too. But these people were saying, hey, we want the food, we want the wine. They were also partaking without discernment. Look at verse 29. It says at the very end there, if you do it unworthily, you're drinking judgment or damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. They were eating without discernment. What's that mean? They weren't even considering what it was meaning to be. They weren't even considered of the fact that this is representative of the body that was broken of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed. I wonder sometimes, you know, are we guilty of taking the Lord's Supper without discerning? Are we guilty of partaking in communion without truly thinking about what this meant? What it is that Jesus did for us? Another mistake they made is they were partaking without self-examination. That's why Paul said, examine yourselves. Judge yourselves. They were, they, so they were not confessing sins. They were not getting right about things. And that's really part of what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about getting right about what you have done wrong, getting right between you and God, and then coming to the table and thanking God for what he's done for you. That's the whole purpose of the Lord's table. But they did not come with any repentance. They did not come with, with, with any sorrow of spirit about their own sin. They just came to the table. And you say, well, pastor, you know, you, you preach a lot about sin. What's the problem with that? Sin is the source of every problem you have. So I should be preaching more on sin because every issue you have in your life is because of somebody's sin, whether it be yours or somebody else's. So sin is absolutely essential to, to, to preach about. I think also they were doing it wrong because they were mocking. They were having it in a sort of mocking way. And a lot of people mock God and religion. To partake unworthily, though, look what it says, because this is strong language here. In verse 27. If you do it unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Well, what's that mean there? That if you partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy, an unworthy manner, unworthily, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Why? Why is that? does it make it guilty? Because it was sin that nailed him to the cross. 
And really what Paul is saying here is he's telling them, look, if you treat, if you treat the remembrance of the cross in a flippant manner, it is as if you were there consenting to his death. If you treat the Lord's table, where we're talking about Jesus, the God of heaven, the creator God, and we're talking about him coming to this earth, condescending to this earth to die for your sin. And, and Paul is saying, if you treat it in a flippant manner, it's as if you were standing at the cross saying, crucify him, crucify him. Whew. That's some strong words there from Paul. Verse 26 says, when you do this, though, you're showing the Lord's death till he come. Now, the Lord says there, the Bible says we're supposed to remember his death. This coming Saturday, we have a funeral <clears throat> for Miss Betty Baumgartner, a longtime member of our church, moved to Arizona a couple years ago. Of course, Roy, her husband, passed away many years ago. Betty passed away. She's with the Lord now. She wanted to have her funeral service here. She's going to be buried locally here with her husband. Of course, the Baumgartner family's been in church for a long time, too. When we, when we come to that funeral on, on Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, in the chapel, by the way, when we do that, we're not going to be celebrating her death. What we call it is a celebration of life. We, we remember the life. As Christians, we're also thinking, hey, death ain't a bad thing because we get to be with Jesus. But really, at a funeral, what you do is you're, you're celebrating a life. But this says, God, Jesus, in this passage, says, remember the death. Remember the death. Not necessarily even the life. It says, remember the death. Because it was the death of Jesus that purchased our salvation. It was the death. Remember the death. So as you're thinking today, as you take the Lord's Supper, if you're going to stay with us and do that, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the death of Christ. You're thinking about why he died. Why he died. You're thinking about how he died. How did he die? In the most cruel way possible. You're thinking why he died. You're thinking how he died. And what that should do for all of us is produce seriousness and produce thankfulness. Because I'll tell you this. If it was your son that was strung up on a cross, when people talked about it, you would expect some seriousness. You would expect no one joking around. You would expect some memory of what, that, of what happened. And that's what God's looking at. See, it's really a condition of our heart. Condition of our heart. How's your heart today? When you approach God today, how's your heart? How do you think of the death on the cross for your sins? Hey, this is not just a time for juice and a cracker. I understand for kids, you know, Lord's Supper is great. I get to try the juice. Get to get the but that's not what it's about. Jesus takes it seriously because it was his body that was broken for you and me. So carelessness, when you approach the Lord's table, carelessness prevents communion. But I want to say, secondly, carelessness brings chastening. Carelessness brings chastening. What's it mean to chasten? Now, we'll see this here in Scripture, <clears throat> that uh, we, there is chastening. Verse 32, you'll see it there. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Chastening means disciplined. It means punished. As a kid in church, I was growing up, I remember sitting in church with my mom. Can I just tell you that carelessness on my part brought chastening a few times? Carelessness in church, you know, messing around, laughing or whatever. There was some chastening. There wasn't usually too much carelessness after mom got a hold of me. Why? Because there was some discipline. 
And that was, this is how you will behave in church. Because the carelessness brought the chastening. I remember going to school and, and uh, showing some carelessness in my classes. And look, I'm not, a, I'm not a super smart person, but I could get good grades. And I remember as a kid, when I would come home and <clears throat> the teacher would call my mom or dad. And I was like, please, Lord, call my mom. But anyway, and they said, Eli's got a C in math or whatever. I was like, oh, no, here it comes. I would get, I'm out here, okay. I would get whooped. Say, what's whooping? Some of you don't know because you didn't get any. We know, we can tell, all right? I would get spanked if I didn't get A's. You say, oh, your parents were horrible. No, they knew I could get A's and they knew I was slacking off. And they're like, oh, you didn't get your homework in? Do it one more time, see what happens. Okay, I'll get my homework in, you know? And uh, so, but what? Chastening cured some carelessness on my part. God doesn't, dis- my parents didn't discipline me because they were, they were mad at me or they just hated me. They, they, no, they said, we want the best for you. God doesn't discipline you because he's mad at you. God disciplines you because he loves you. In fact, he says in Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. In Hebrews 12.6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. As a parent, you may not agree with this, but I've got Bible to back me up. As a parent, if I don't discipline my child, it shows that I love me more than I love them. Let me say that again. As a parent, if I don't discipline my children, it shows that I love me more than them. Because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want to go through the trouble. What it's saying is, I love myself more than you. Because the Bible says, uh, he that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Hebrews 12, 7. If ye endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is, whom, is he whom the father chasteneth not? That's what dads do. That's what moms do. They, they correct kids. Why? What does it say? God is saying here, if you get off track, he's going to correct you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Some of you have a hard time with the idea of discipline because you were not disciplined correctly. You have a hard time with hearing the word spanking or discipline or, I had to stand in the corner. Anybody else have to stand in the corner? Was it just me? A couple of you? Okay, I feel good. Let's have a group meeting after church today. We're going to talk about standing in the corner, all right? Because, say, what is that? Literally, this is what it was. Go stand in the corner. Say, for how long? Till dad remembered that you were in the corner. Could be after the ball game was over. Could be after the movie, the TV show. And then if you try to sit down, get up. Okay, all right, all right. Remember one time I did something. I got put in the corner, brought out, spanked, put back in the corner. Now, my brother and sister will tell you, oh, we got so many more whoopings than you. And I'm like, yeah, because you deserve them. You reprobate heathens. Good night. But I remember that. Getting put, you know, all that kind of stuff. Now, again, what was that about? What, I don't look back at that and say, I want to talk about the trauma of my childhood. I know some of you went through stuff. Some of you went through serious stuff. And I'm not making light of that. But the problem that you have with the words discipline is because what happened to you. But you've got to understand that God is nothing like, God is not like an earthly father or mother who doesn't do it correctly. God disciplines you correctly. 
You don't resist that. Now think of it this way. If you caught your son or daughter stealing, you caught them cheating on a test, you caught them stealing, you would punish them, hopefully. Why would you punish them? Because, oh, they embarrass you. No. It's not like, well, stealing's okay, but I don't like that you embarrass me, so I'm going to punish you. No, that's not what it is. As a parent, you know what that behavior leads to. If they continue stealing, if they continue doing wrong, you know what that behavior leads to, and you're trying to spare them from that. And what is God doing? God is saying, look, I know where your sin leads you, and it's not pretty, and I want to spare you from that. So when you have a careless manner about spiritual things, or when you're neglecting your responsibilities and doing things you ought not to do, God is going to discipline you. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. God knows what sin brings. He died for it on the cross. And so he's saying, look, I'm going to, when you are getting careless with your Christian life, when you're not taking things as serious as you should, there's going to be discipline. Some of you wonder, well, why does this bad thing happen? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? I'm not saying every bad thing that happens in your life is because of this. But some of it is. And maybe there's things in your life that you're going through wondering why all this is happening. And maybe you ought to look inside and say, Lord, are you, are you trying to get my attention? God, are, are you, am, I, am I in discipline right now? That's a good thing to ask the Lord. And you know what a great time to do that would be? When we partake of the Lord's Supper. Great time. The last thing I want to show you this morning. <clears throat> Carelessness prevents communion. It brings chastening. But thirdly, here's the, here's the best part. Confession and cleansing restore communion. Confession and cleansing restore communion. I love 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great verse. God is so gracious to, to us that every time we come to him, He's not like, well, this is the last time. Every time. He is ready and waiting to forgive. I love it. Let me show you something really cool in Scripture. Some of you really appreciate this. Look at verse 28. I've not seen this before. Verse 28. But let a man examine himself. To to examine means to check something out. It means to look over something carefully. When you go to the doctor and you get an examination, they're checking you out to make sure everything's ready to go. And Paul is saying here, give yourself a spiritual examination. Make sure everything's right. Examine yourself. Before you take part in the Lord's Supper, there ought to be an examination. Hey, is there anything in my life that I need to get right with the Lord about? Is there anything in my life I need to get right with someone else about? Now, we're very good at examining other people. Can you believe so-and-so's taking the Lord's Supper today? I know what's going on. (laughs) Mind your own business. We're very good at examining others, but the command is examine yourself. But look at verse 31. I want you to see this here. This is so neat. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Now, in English, we have the word judge and judged. In Greek, it's two separate words. Remember, this is translated from Greek. To English. In Greek, it's two separate words. So the first, first part there, for if we would judge ourselves, that means to judge there means to evaluate carefully. It means to evaluate, listen to this, by recognizing or perceiving differences. I like, I, I like 
I like games. I like to keep my brain occupied. You, you know, and, and, and there's this particular game that I like. It's called Spot the Difference. And really what it is, and uh, we have a Disney game where, where we do this too, and it's like, you know, spot the difference between these two images. So what, what they do is they hold up two different images, and you have to spot the one thing in them that is different. You've seen this, right? This is not new to anybody here. Spot the difference. I love spot the difference. And uh, it's a fun thing for me too. But again, what are you doing? You're holding up two different images to see what the difference is. And that's what the word judge here means. Judge yourself. It means judge yourself by holding up something to you to spot the differences. What's it talking about? It's talking about judging yourself by holding yourself up to this book and trying to see where the difference is. What does this book say and what am I doing? What does this book teach and what do I believe? What does God say for me to do and what am I doing with it? That's judging. You're holding up the book to say, where's the difference? Spot the difference. And then you make a change so that it's the same. But the second word judge there, so you got to hold the book up. you got to hold the word of God up and spot the difference and change it. But then it says, if you'll do that, we should not be judged. If you'll judge yourself, if you'll examine it carefully and hold up and check the difference, then you will not be judged. But that second word, judge, is a completely different Greek word. It means to be subject to the critical scrutiny of somebody else. So the first judge means examine you. Self-exam, take a big swim in Lake U and figure out what's going on and figure out what's wrong and look at the Bible and say, hey, this is the two things. Uh, Am I right with this book? Am I doing what God says to do? But the second one is somebody else looking at you. And if you'll look at you and change what you're supposed to, then God won't have to change you. That's what it's saying. The critical scrutiny of another. To be, and it means to be brought into account for one's actions. So that's a beautiful thing. God says, look, if you will look at this book and judge yourself and say, whatever this book says, I'm going to believe it. Whatever God teaches me in this book, I'm going to do it. However God says to live, that's what I'm going to do. Then God says, then I don't need to judge you. If you'll judge you, it's a great thing. I would rather me look at the Bible and change than have God change me. Have God have to do that. Of course, it's all by the Spirit of God that we change anyway. But if you'll hold your life up to the Bible and judge yourself, you will spare yourself a lot of judgment. You'll spare yourself a lot of judgment if you'll do it yourself. This morning we're seeing that God wants you to take some things seriously. The Lord suffers one of them, but so is examining your own life and judging your own sin. That's a big thing. I want to just ask you this morning as we close, do you take sin seriously? Do you take your sin seriously? Do you take the Lord's Supper seriously? Do you take Jesus' death on the cross seriously? I'll just say this, the Lord's Supper shows us That you can see how serious people take their Christianity by how serious they take their own sins. That's what the Lord's Supper shows us. That you can see how seriously someone takes their Christianity by how serious they take 
their own sin.